Greetings and salutations. You're listening to This Ends at Prom, a podcast where I, teen movie apologist BJ Colangelo, show my wife, Harmony Colangelo, a seminal teen girl movie that I missed out on because I grew up as a teen boy. Is today's movie truly emblematic of womanhood? Or of rose-colored nostalgia glasses warped your perspective? Circle yes, no, or maybe to find out if we're crowning a queen? Or if we're killing the teen dream. Welcome to This Ends at Prom. This Ends at Prom is a Pod People production. I don't wanna be your merch girl. I wanna be your goddamn idol. And I don't wanna have to work twice as hard for the same motherfucking title. But I. dare you prom party <laughs> you people how could you <laughs> hi friends welcome back to this ends at prom we have a very special episode this week because you crazy monsters you did it i don't know if i've ever been so excited about that's not true when we <laughs> talked about angel i was really excited when we talked about sorority boys i was really excited but like i don't know if i've ever been this jazzed for us to do a movie before so for those who are just joining us and don't know the backstory of what's going to happen here, as you all know, this podcast is, is based on the fact that I love teen cinema, and I am a, a huge apologist for teen girl movies in particular, but there is one movie that gets under my skin and festers like a, like a wound, like a disease, and haunts me at every waking moment, and that movie's Grease. Yeah. I hate this. Like, I don't hate anything when it comes to movies. You, y'all know me. I'm, I'm queen of nuance. I'm. Let's find the bright side. Let's find the silver lining. We were real patient about a walk to remember last week. <laughs> I actively hate Greece, and we put it on our Patreon. I guess this is part of our morning announcements. Uh, we have a Patreon, patreon.com backslash. This ends at prom. And we put a stretch goal that once we hit five hundred dollars a month, we would interrupt our schedule. And we would talk about Greece, and... It was originally a joke. It was a joke, and then you all did it, and now I had to watch it again, and now we're recording this episode, and I just want to say that I love you so much, and I'm so appreciative and thankful for y'all getting us to this point, and I hope... What tremendous support. I hope that you can find some enjoyment of, of my pain, uh, because this this is... Very tough, but you know what? It is worth it. I am here to give the people what they want, and y'all wanted to hear me have to talk about Greece, so that's what we're doing here today. But friends, it would have been unfair to have me just shit all over this movie. That's not a very nice thing to do. So we're not alone today. Oh no, there's been copious amounts of snickering. <laughs> we, we have a guest. He is a writer. He is my Greece nemesis. Um, if you follow on social media, if you ever see me talk shit on Greece or talk positively about Greece too, uh, you can best believe this man is in my mentions. <laughs> Mr. Todd Gilchrist is here today. Hi, Todd. <laughs> Hi. Thank you so much. I, I I cannot tell you how excited I am 
about this. Um, first of all, I'm I'm so happy that that you guys reached this this benchmark in your Patreon. I mean, that's really that's really fantastic. But also, you know, whether it was just to see you sort of or hear you sort of writhe in agony or just to hear me, I think it's wonderful that um, that we're getting to talk about a movie that I truly truly love, and I'm so excited to talk with with the both of you about. Um, I, I can't wait. And there was really no one else that I was willing to allow onto the podcast during this. I was like, it, it has to be Todd. Like, no one else is allowed to talk about Grease <laughs> because no one else has loves this movie the way that you do and also loves to give me shit about hating this movie as much as you do. So you're the perfect guest. So we just, we had to. I love it. I love it. <laughs> uh, I, I love that my part in this, and I had this on the couch with BJ when I got home from work and was very tired. And then I'm watching Grease going, why is Grease two hours long? I just want to go to bed. <laughs> and I have this moment where I cannot remember fairy tales. And I'm like, fucking Rapunzel. No. Um... Fucking Hansel and Gretel. No. Who's who's the bitch with the porridge? And Goldilocks. BJ's like, Goldilocks. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be the just right one, I think, maybe. <laughs> we'll see how I feel about it tomorrow. <laughs> but I'm going to be in the middle of just this fight, and I really just want to watch you two kind of hash this out in front of me, and we'll, I'll, I'll interject when I can. <laughs> I'm excited for you to referee, for sure. Oh, it's going to be so much fun. That's the part I'm excited about, because I'm not really divulged my feelings on Grease yet. No, you haven't, and it's been like, I want to rip my skin off. <sighs> <sighs> okay, so let's kind of go around the room, because I something that's really important about this show is that we understand where we're coming from whenever we talk about these movies. So... Todd, I'm going to kick it off with you. Sure. What is your relationship with this movie? Like, how did you see it? Why is this something that you love so much? Well, you know, I, it was, you know, there were a handful of movies, of course, that I saw when I was a kid that I, for whatever reason, I would repeatedly watch. You know, I would go to a, a friend's house or I'd be somewhere and it would just be on or somebody had a, a, a tape of it or whatever. And this was one of those movies. And so... I feel like I just, for whatever, and also the fact that it was on television broadcast, um, mm -hmm. I would, I would yeah. end up seeing it a bunch of times. And, you know, all that said, you know, it's funny as I, I, I rewatched part of it today as I was preparing for this and I was like, yeah, this is a number that when I was a kid, I didn't listen to, or I skipped over, or I didn't make it to, or whatever it was. Um, but it was my introduction to, of course, uh, to John Travolta, I feel like it was also, I'm sure it was my introduction to, uh, Olivia Newton-John, although I knew physical pretty well, at, you know, mm -hmm. like as a kid. Mm -hmm. Um, and so the, I, so watching this, um, as a, as a kid was, it wasn't that I, of course, thought it was somehow representative of, of teenagers as adults, as real people, but it was something that I, I, I kind of, just love. I mean, I love the music. I love the, um, the energy of it. Um, and so it was something that I watched a lot when I was younger. And then when it was re-released in, I think it was 1998, they put it back in theaters. And I, at that time I had just graduated from college and I went back to Charlotte, North Carolina, which is where I'm from. And uh, it was in the theater and I, and I remember going to see it with my friend at, at, and he was a projectionist at the theater. And so we ended up watching it like four or five times and we would just sit in there and just giggle 
and like enjoy it and just sort of like luxuriate in it. And, um, and I think that really kind of cemented my affection for the movie even more so than, you know, when I was a kid, it was like, as a kid, it was kind of a curio. I, I was really excited. And then, and then as an adult, I started to really, I feel like appreciate the, the nuances and the acting and some of the details that I'm really excited for us to get into because, um, those were the things that I, that I think that makes it endure above and beyond, you know, sort of its commercial success and all those other elements. Oh, that's actually a very sweet story. And I yeah. like that this is <laughs> this is what you're bringing to it. And that's why I like asking this question. Uh, so Harmony, how about you? Um, mine's not nearly as in-depth or interesting. I just, Greece was around. I, <laughs> I feel like I have just absorbed Greece into like my pores. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's like being in a pizza shop and then you go home and you can just feel the pepperoni. It's just it's it's been it's become part of you. It's ubiquitous. <laughs> it's for sure, absolutely. Yeah, like these thick accents, like the New York is seeped into me despite it being <laughs> Southern California and that's I I I don't know. I watched it a bit more in like high school when I had like girlfriends mm-hmm. and we would watch like Grease or Moulin Rouge or just like fun, very flashy movies like that mm-hmm. when we would just hang out at each other's houses and stuff. So, I paid a bit more attention to that, but aside from it, it was just like I don't, no one in my family was like really into Greece. I didn't have any sisters. It was just kind of like, yep, Greece is on TV. Because Greece is always on TV. <laughs> it was always on TV. I mean, I think that was, you know, that was the foundation for me. So I, I can totally relate to that. Yeah. I mean, my, my biggest introduction to most movies is, was it on TV? Okay, there we go. I'm very familiar with it then. Yeah, it's like our favorite game to play is who does Harmony know this actor from, which is usually something on, you know, like page five of their IMDb because it was whatever played on Comedy Central a lot in 2002. Were they uh, a background character in The Fugitive? <laughs> I recognize them then. <laughs> so my relationship with Greece is a bit sordid, to say the least. You don't say. Um, <laughs> as a kid... I watched this movie incessantly because my mom ran a daycare and there was like a handful of movies outside of like children's movies that we were allowed to watch like all the time and the kids would want to watch it all the time. Grease was one of them. Um, I'm also a a theater kid and I was a very precocious child and that meant that I learned all of the music to Greece very, very young Mm -hmm. and I would sing it constantly. I like Greece is something that despite my hatred for it lives in my body and there's nothing I can do about it. It's seeped into you. Yeah. I know the choreography. (laughs) I know the way that their, their vocal inflections change when they deliver certain lines. I know which background characters to point at when they're doing some dumb shit in the choreography. Like I I know all these things because I, I just know it because I've been involved in it so many times. Um, and then as I got older, uh, I started getting in productions of Grease. And the first time um, I was cast as Jan and I got my script and I was like, huh, Jan's a fat girl. Why is that not in the movie? Like, they make a lot of jokes in the movie about, like, Jan's constantly eating and, you know, you got to get your Twinkie with a dessert wine. Like, I, okay. I was like, but that actress is not fat. What the hell is that about? Mm -hmm. So that, like, that kind of put me off because the second I was cast, I was like, oh, they cast me because I'm fat. Okay, that's rude. (laughs) And then the second time I was in Greece, I was Rizzo, which is a role that admittedly, like, I was kind of born to play. And Rizzo is my favorite character and is, like, the one I will go to bat for, (laughs) You know, despite anything in this movie, I go to bat that I love Betty Rizzo. And 
I just remember being in <laughs> in the production and the amount of like people who really didn't like our production. Uh, they didn't like it because it wasn't the movie. Like our girl who played Sandy wasn't blonde. I'm obviously a bigger girl and people hated it. And that's when I had this realization like, oh, well, when a musical becomes this like huge thing, if you are not replicating the movie and like these very American cinematic staples, mm -hmm. people actively reject what you're putting out. And as a musical theater kid, that like hurt me on like a very like fundamental level because I'm like, but this was a mus this was a, a Broadway show first. Like, what the hell? Mm -hmm. And it really upset me when I realized like, okay, yeah, once a musical becomes this big thing, it can no longer be a work of musical theater. It has to be a replication of a movie. And that was really like frustrating to me. Sure. And then obviously as I got older and I started watching, I was like, hey, wait a minute. There's some aspects of the story in here that I... I'm not super comfortable with. Why are we normalizing this? And then I started just getting really angry because the way I view Greece is very similar to the way that you, Harmony, view something like Silence of the Lambs. We're like, are there movies that are worse than Greece in terms of like its misogyny, its uh, weird kind of backwards politics, its uh, very confusing and mixed messaging about sex? Like, are there movies that are worse than Greece? Yes, absolutely. There are way more problematic films. But do they have the acclaim and the prestige and like this legacy that Greece does? No, they don't. And that's why it needs to be held to a higher standard. Um, so that's where that's where my my Greece. Uh, building blocks come from yes <laughs> so to speak um but before we like dive anywhere deeper harmony i'm hoping that you can kind of set the stage for us with some sort of like cultural context like what was going on in the world when greece came out so this is the oldest movie we have thus far covered on the podcast yes because this is older than rock and roll high school just barely beats rock and roll high school and which it's was also 1980 right uh, 79, I believe. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, Sorry, continue. Sorry. No, that's fine. Uh, this is also the highest grossing film we have covered on the podcast. Of course it is, because everyone <laughs> hates teen movies. Uh, yeah. So, like, A Fault in Our Stars is comparable. Uh, we're doing Twilight, like, next, and that is also comparable. Mm -hmm. However, Greece made $366 million in so 1978 insane. money. That's if you adjust insane. that for inflation, that's $1.5 billion. Oh my God. Greece made so much money. God. So Marvel who? That's And that's not even counting the fact that the Greece soundtrack sold like 40 million copies. That so, like makes me want to die. Like the, all of this makes complete sense to me, but like, oh my God. Back when I used to work at a vintage store, um, I used to get Grease albums out of every dollar bin in the city and sell them for $10 a piece because everyone wanted it, but they didn't want to go digging through grandma's dusty shit. So uh, <laughs> I have a special fondness for Grease in that regard because <laughs> they helped pay my rent a bit. <laughs> but as far as like what was going on for teen movies, um, this is pre 80s, which means it's it's a gamble because mm -hmm. teen movies are weird prior to the eighties yeah. and they're confusing and they're not really marketed towards teens. So there's not like a lot of teen specific films being released at the same time as Greece. Um, as a side note, uh, there are a lot of amazing Kung Fu movies coming out this year. <laughs> Just wanted to point that out. Like uh, drunken master with Jackie Chan enter the fat dragon with Sam Ho Hung, uh, five deadly venoms and return of the five deadly venoms. 
and the 36 Chamber of Shaolin all came out this year. What an amazing lineup of Kung Fu movies, <laughs> amongst others. And I will also, tell you that uh, Enter the 36 Chamber is my favorite martial arts movie of all time. So maybe 1978 uh, has some kind of, um, you know, alchemy that I'm I'm not aware of. Exactly. I mean, one of mine is maybe like Legend of the Drunken Master, which is the second one mm-hmm. with Jackie Chan. Uh, also a huge fan. Also, like, go listen to Kicking and Screaming. Uh, like, our friends at the podcast, they've covered these and plenty of other films from just this year alone. Because apparently this was just the best year for martial arts films. But actually looking at like teen releases, I kind of only have three okay. that I can point at. And one of them's a stretch, but you can see the building blocks of where we're going from this. Okay, so what do we got? So there's Jaws 2, which is not really a teen movie, but it has a very predominant teen cast. Yes. And Jaws 2 functions like a slasher movie, kind of. Yeah, it's a slasher movie where the slasher is Jaws. Yes. <laughs> also this year, speaking of slashers, is Halloween. Oh, yeah, it is Halloween. Holy shit. Uh-huh. Why did I never, like, it's one of those things where I know what year both of these movies came out, but in no way did my brain ever connect those dots of, like, yeah, this is the same year, you dummy. Yeah. And also the same year as Animal House. Oh. So it's like, oh, that is, that's the re- next, like, eight years of teen films, basically, where yeah. it's, like, sex comedies and slashers. Yeah, Okay. And then you have like sort of the um, going down the line, you have like the Grease imitation sort of films like fame is going to be coming up in a, like a hot sack or or flash dance or any of these other not really like Broadway musicals, very much like tailored for the screen musicals. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that that's kind of what we're looking at as far as the era of teen cinema when Grease is released. So I can see why it was so popular because also there's just nothing, there's nothing else. like it. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, if I can also add to that, um, absolutely. You know what's what's what I I mean. You know, as a big fan of sort of American International and sort of a lot of the low budget uh, sort of exploitation movies of that era. Mm-hmm. You have these movies like Van Nuys Boulevard. You have movies like, um, you know, the, the the like all these things that that are now you know released on like four movies on one DVD kind of mm-hmm. these <laughs> like exploitation movies that were very much aimed towards teenagers, but they weren't necessarily, I mean, they were just kind of like cheapies, you know, mm-hmm. Robert Carradine's in like half of them. And, um, <laughs> but I would say that to your, to your point, to reinforce that, you know, the year after this was little darlings and then mm-hmm. 1980 was, uh, uh, or, or meatballs was also 1979, which is to me sort of, almost like a prototypical sort of more conventional teen movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and But then you also have Foxes in 1980, which is more of mm-hmm. a, like, you know, these are movies that have this degree of, like, adult sophistication to them, even though they sort of largely focus on teenage and young adult characters. And I think that, you know, the template had not been set, and I think, if I think that Fame is 1982, which also is the same year as not only um, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, but I think it's mm-hmm. also the same year as uh, The Last American Virgin, which is one of mm-hmm. my all-time favorite teen movies, and I love that movie so much because it's so like shockingly hardcore about the characters and story and everything. Yeah. And, oh yeah. And, and you know, <laughs> and the fact that you know it it really did take until like 
16 Candles or, you know, yeah. these other movies to really sort of dial back the intensity of these films to, to, in a weird way to like make them appeal to teens more while also being, you know, sort of weirdly adult and, and a dealing and dealing with these interesting themes. So it's, it, it, to, you're absolutely right that it, that it was sort of an outlier, but I will say also that it, it definitely fits because Robert Stigwood, who produced this, also produced um, Saturday Night Fever the year before. Mm-hmm. And that's a movie also that uh, technically is about, you know, 19 and 20 year olds who, you know, are living out, you know, sort of a very youthful lifestyle, um, despite the, the, the tug uh, of, of adulthood trying to get them to move on. Um, so it's, a, it's an interesting moment in film history that this movie sort of arrived. Oh, absolutely. And like we've covered a number of those on the show and I'm actually really looking forward to one day doing Foxes because I, I, this is my favorite era of team movies to digest because they are so weird. Um, there's that, there's this grittiness and almost like this, this adult sort of disgust, but elegance of the seventies that is just hanging over all of these films, even into the eighties where even something like 16 candles is still a sick, a sex comedy for half of its movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there, and then Molly Ringwald is just kind of thrust into that world. But I think that this is, it, it, it's, it's pure teenage anarchy in like a way that we'll never see again. And I think that's so fascinating. And as like one other, like just random outlier of like a teenage or like young 21 year old, maybe a promiscuity and sex nonsense. This is the same year as Debbie does Dallas. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cause when am I going to get to bring that up on the show? <laughs> but no, I'm really glad that you did bring up, you know, this part of the history because we do cover the older films. Like when we did last American Virgin, then we also did uh, little darlings. We tend to do those as part of our seasonal teen movie hell series where we pick something from uh, Mike McBeard or McPadden's book and talk about it. And I thought for a while that Grease was going to be one of those titles. I'm like, it's old enough. I would love to, you know, shout out Mike any chance that I get. But I mean, people hit the goal early. So that's why we're doing it now. Mm -hmm. But before we got the John Hughes like formula, the same way that like before we got the the slasher formula from John Carpenter around this around this time, um, everything that comes before that is so unique and is it really is a style of teen cinema that doesn't exist anymore because once we get into John Hughes and move forward, everything is sort of either being made in reference to his style or trying to subvert his style, Mm -hmm. but it all comes back to him. So if there is one positive and there are, there will be many, I promise (laughs) that I will give Greece is that this is a movie that kind of exists within itself and everything that follows is trying to replicate that. And that does include my personal favorite Grease 2, which, spoiler alert, we're doing for my birthday this year, because it is it is trying to subvert the very movie that it is a sequel to. And I find that be really, really interesting. So, I mean... If you're gonna if you're gonna be the best thing in the world, like you've you've got to set the stage, and they set the stage, and they set the standard, and they became the formula, and that's really impressive to do, especially with a musical, which a lot of people hate. Like so mm-hmm. many people just hate musicals, regardless of anything. But Grease is like the one that people will give a give a pass to. That's true, um, but I think even in the '70s, like this is probably like a weird representation of what a musical is because when you think of like a lot of the seventies, we had a lot of very classic, very successful musicals. Mm -hmm. Grease is so much hokier and clearly meant for like a mainstream audience compared to like 
I don't know, Hair. Fiddler on the Roof, <laughs> Funny Girl. Like, those are very clearly Broadway. This is not Broadway. And then there's, I mean, of course, Cabaret and mm-hmm, all that yes. jazz and all those kinds of things. But I, I will say also, you know, I, it, it's funny how many different connections I feel like this movie has to other movies from the 70s. Because mm-hmm. we, you know, a movie that we haven't talked about, which is technically speaking supposed to be a teen movie but it's not is um american graffiti which was 1973 you know and that also was a movie that was set in the 50s shot and made in the 70s that was sort of using the the prism of the 50s to sort of comment on where we are now and i think that this movie does that very well because it is very much a 1978 movie about 19, mm-hmm. the, the 50s. Mm-hmm. It's not, I, I would say, I would argue that it's not trying to be a throwback. And, you know, while I agree with you that it is, that it's very um, populist, I think that it's very vibrant and it's, and it's definitely different than those sort of darker musicals, those darker Broadway musicals. It still is, um, it, it still has more sophisticated themes, which I think, you know, uh, and I'm sure we will get into this in more detail is mm-hmm. what I really like about it is that there's, and, and there's a, there's a nuance um, to it that sort of in a way bridges the gap between sort of the more simplistic portrayals of some musical things in the 60s and the 50s even to when things were later where you have Jonathan Larson and you have other people who were able to use the musical template to explore much more sophisticated ideas than mm-hmm. Greece is able to do. Hey, hey Danny, uh... We've been friends a long time, right? Yeah. Well, you, you remember the, the, the drive-in the other night? We went and, and the movie, and it was like the duel, and the guy's best friend went with him, and, and, and like it was, it was like his lieutenant, like his second, you know? Yeah. So? Well, I, I thought that you could maybe be my second at Thunder Road. What do you mean? You want, you want me to drive with you, or, or what? No. Oh. Hey, hey. <laughs> uh, well, listen, I'll pick you up at three, huh? Yes, yeah, So, uh, let's. <laughs> we're about to start. Todd, instead of asking our friend Dango what the uh, the plot of this movie is, can you tell the people who somehow have avoided this film. <laughs> I don't know who you are. I don't know how you've done it. But bravo if you have somehow existed in the English-speaking world and have not seen Greece. What is Greece about? Okay. Uh, I, you know, it's funny because you, you alerted me to the fact that I would be tasked with describing this and I'm trying to decide how generously to describe it because <laughs> because truthfully you know the plot is of course these sort of uh, star-crossed lovers of, of, of social and possibly economic stratus um, are, are reunited at, at a you know Venice I don't actually write El High they don't really specify exactly where it is but it was shot in at, at, I think Venice Beach High School or Venice High School or something like that. Yeah, it's whichever they that high school gets used all the time. Yeah, um, but you know, I mean, at the most basic, it's about you know these two people who who have a wonderful 
summer together. They are reunited in high school as they enter their senior year. And they're sort of navigating um, social or intersocial um, relationships as they are trying to explore the uh, attraction and affection that they have for one another. I would also say, to be more generous, that it is very much about um, the journey that many young teenagers take to sort of not only rebuff the the social pressures to fit into a certain paradigm or to a certain behavior, but it is very much about sort of self-actualization and exploring the relationships that they have and how those relationships help them become more authentically themselves. And, um, and that's, you know, much more thematic than it is sort of narrative, but, but that's the thing that, that continually resonates with me as I watch it, which is why, um, I'm so eager to, to defend it, uh, against, uh, BJ's description or her criticism, <laughs> which I, which I am so like genuinely, I'm so eager to hear not to, not to argue or dismantle, but just to sort of understand because, because obviously your perspective is, you know, different than mine. I'm, I'm, I'm just mm-hmm. excited about it. So I'm glad that you're excited. And that's why I wanted you to be here. I was like, because it's not fun to listen to me just whine for an hour. Like, that's not fun for anybody. Um, so to it's kick fun sometimes. <laughs> so to kick things off, um, we like to we like to highlight our main teen girl first. Uh, so in this instance, we have Sandy Olson, Sandy, the girl from Down Under. So let's talk about Sandy. Harmony, how do you feel about Sandy? Um, she is very plain and very nice <laughs> and then she she goes through a growth with all these debaucherous americans <laughs> lovely that, that's my easy way of encapsulating an olivia newton john's perfect performance as this character she is again like here's a positive if anyone's keeping track at home here's a positive I think Olivia Newton-John is doing a wonderful job. This is mm-hmm. exactly who this character is. This is who it's supposed to be. She is, as Rizzo describes her, too pure to be pink. Uh, and I don't think that that's a bad thing. Uh, I personally, yes, I am a Rizzo, and I, I own that about myself. There's nothing wrong with being too pure to be a pink lady. And I, I like that Sandy kind of like, you know, for 90% of the movie sticks to her guns. I think mm-hmm. that's good for her. Um, <laughs> I think Olivia Newton-John is very, very sweet. Do I fast forward every time hopelessly to devoted to you comes on because that song is way too long yes yes i do um <laughs> do i still know every single word and love that she can like belt in a top register absolutely oh, she sounds oh, those, wonderful those big notes are so nice oh they're so beautiful um but yes i i don't dislike sandy as a character i think that her character is very sweet and i don't think we get enough of this type of character of somebody who is just kind of very sweet and very innocent, but not in a way like comparing it to to last week's episode of A Walk to Remember, where she's like the nice Christian girl, but she's presented in a way that's like, she's better than you because she doesn't drink and she doesn't smoke and she dresses modestly and you're all a bunch of assholes. Like Sandy isn't presented that way. She's just presented like she's a very nice girl. And I, I'm not against that. I think she, that that's fine. She's kind of presented as being like a square but a square you still invite around. Right, right. And I, I have no qualms with that. How about you, Todd? How do you feel about Sandy? You know, it's it's funny because 
uh, like I was as I was watching the movie uh, tonight with with Julia, I was like, you know, the person that I had a crush on when I was a kid was Frenchie. Like I was, I love that. Like, and I, you know, and I mean, and as I watch it, like I was talking about, I was so overwhelmed at how great Stockard Channing is, of course. And we'll get to all those characters. And I, but what I said was, Olivia Newton-John really has such a thankless job, to some extent, as this role because you do have to be sort of this wholesome, you know, very bland kind of character in comparison to the world. Um, both of the pink ladies and the T-Birds. And so, you know, and, and that's, that really is where the dramatic conflict comes because it's not, like, I don't think that necessarily, I mean, that may be who she is, but also, like, who you are between your junior year and senior year of high school is not the same person you are maybe at the end of high school or the, in college or, or anywhere else. But, you know, it forces um, John Travolta to be, she, her behavior, her her perspective on the world forces this sort of self-examination that uh, that Danny goes through. And, and so, you know, I mean, for better or for worse, I don't think she's a device. I think she's a I think she's a real character. But I do think that to, by by comparison to some of the other characters in the story, she's less complex and she serves more of a purpose than she does to sort of populate uh, an ensemble in the way that some of the other characters do, if that makes sense. I mean, every movie has to have a straight man and sure. she kind of fulfills that role because a lot of the characters in this are cartoons. Mm -hmm. um, and that's also not a bad thing. Um, it is a musical after all, but she is the most grounded character that exists like with like it's not even close um and i, I agree that it is a thankless job i almost feel like she is like the audience's surrogate character as like okay cool you're the outside you're you're from out of town you're from out of the country you've come to this crazy cartoon world with these like gangs of Southern California greasers with Brooklyn accents and pink ladies who all have their own unique personalities. And I love them. Like she's kind of the one who it's like, okay, th this is all being explained to us through the new kid in school who is mm -hmm. her. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think that's sort of a good device. Sure. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I would agree with that. Okay. How about a little sneaky peek to get the party going? Oh! Oh! Italian Swiss colony. Wow. It's important. Hey, I brought some Twinkies. Anybody want one? Twinkies and wine? Oh, that's real class, Jan. It says right here, it is a dessert wine. Hey, Sandy didn't get any wine. Oh, that's okay. Bet you never had a drink before, either. Oh, yes, I did. I had some champagne at my cousin's wedding once. Ooh, ring-a-ding-ding. -ding. Let's talk about her, her opposite. Ah. Uh. Mr. Danny Zuko. Oh. oh, Harmony's got like wavy arms going on. All right, how do you how do you feel about John Travolta there? Here's the thing: I have real mixed feelings about Mr. John Travolta as a whole. Uh, I do love Battlefield Earth. It's oh hilarious. Wow, what a what, what a pivot! That's so beautiful. I, <laughs> Harmony Colangelo, purveyor of trash. Ah, uh, God, I I I have literal trash tattooed on me. It's part of That's my brand. True. That's true. But you do. <laughs> here's the thing: you watch this movie, you watch John Travolta, and you go. Fuck this! He is such a star. Yeah, 
Yeah, like, you do. He looks so good. He's got beautiful eyes. He's got a perfect dimple chin. He's got so much charisma. A little too much like wiggly chicken arms and and like knock kneeing kind of kind of dancing for me. But that's fine. It that's was a an popular, actual dance move was, in the fifties. It was a yes. popular thing. I don't like that's his go to <laughs> move. But whatever. Every like drunk uncle has a go to move on the dance floor at a wedding, and <laughs> that will one day be his. But like. He's so good in this movie. Like, Saturday Night Fever, is he's okay in that movie. But, like, this is the star-making role for Travolta in my brain. Todd, how do you feel? Well, Saturday Night Fever is one of my five favorite movies of all time. Oh. Um, for numerous reasons. And, you know, it has uh, its own, you know, bundle of issues that need to be explored in that as well. But, but... The thing is that I, you know, I was a freshman in, in college when I saw Saturday Night Fever for the first time, and I was convinced that I had never seen a movie that was that good in my life. Like, I was so overwhelmed <laughs> because of his charisma. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will add, you had talked about sort of musicals earlier. I am not um, inherently a, a musical uh, oriented viewer. I'm, I'm not a person who is always, who is frequently gravitated towards musicals now dance movies is something that i absolutely am mm-hmm. have gravitated okay. to and you know so the fact that he is such a great dancer in saturday night fever is is one of the reasons that i was drawn to it and you know tonight as i'm watching it um as i was watching sort of the opening scenes you know he turns around and i will say you know bj one of the 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 gifts that i share so often is the one of Danny just sort of turning around on the first uh-huh. day of class whenever you are <laughs> tweeting about Greece and and like all I can think is dun 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 dun, dun. and 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 like I wish that sound would just accompany me everywhere but it's like uh Harmony is absolutely right he's so incredibly charismatic and he makes it seem so effortless to be the main character of the the t-birds and and it's just kind of like overpowering in a way where you're like mm-hmm. like i mean star wattage you know can be a thing that like yeah i don't really respond to that or that's not my thing it's just irresistible with him at, at that at that particular moment where it's like you know he throws himself emphatically into the singing and the dancing and you know you there's no sense that it's like Oh well, you know this is there. There's no lack of of presence or you know quote unquote masculinity or whatever it is. There is this. He just absolutely commands the screen the entire time he's on there, and you know. And one of the things that I really like as I'm watching the movie is that you know you have this ensemble and and as you were saying, BJ, there there's like these characters who are sort of cartoonish. And he's sort of functioning outside of that where you're like, holy shit, he's giving this like incredible nuanced performance in a reaction while all this sort of cartoonish stuff is going on. And if you just pay attention to that, then I think you really can draw, you know, much, much deeper sort of emotional elements out of the story, whether or not you want to. I'm not... Um, even necessarily saying that it's necessary, but but that's one of the things that I feel like as I watch the movie, I'm just like, I'm like, you know, you have that scene where that where he takes Sandy to the diner, this like once they're actually on a date, 
and he puts the little uh, the menus up so that they're sort of isolated and then everybody kind of invades their space and he's struggling to be cool in front of the T-Birds while also wanting to be honest about his sensitivity and his feelings to to Sandy and to me like I I my heart kind of breaks a little bit like watching him because it's like he doesn't really want to be around these people it's like he's kind of outgrown them to some extent but also more than anything he really wants to like openly express how he feels about Sandy but he's just locked in that sort of teenage um feeling of obligation to the the tribe and to the 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 group that he's the social group that he's a part of and so i don't know i just i you know i mean i love john travolta i've always i've always liked him um and this movie and and saturday night fever both are really powerful to me but but you know i mean uh harmony's correct that he just jumps right off the screen and you kind of can't can't deny it yeah and this is a complicated character, and once we get to BJ's feelings on Mr. Danny Zuko here in a sec, uh, we're going to get those complicated things. But the thing that I think is the most relatable about everything you just said in relation to him is that, especially when you're in high school, sometimes you're just friends with people because you need to have friends in high school. Maybe they're, like Maybe you don't agree with them, but that's just like, that's your group. And that was, like, very much my feeling, where most of the people I hung out with, I'm like, I don't really like you. Like, all of you kind of suck, and I'm not a fan, but what am I going to do, sit by myself at lunch? So I guess this is better than nothing. Yeah, it's friendship by geographical proximity. Yeah, Yeah, and I think that he has more love for the T-Birds than my feelings for my friends, where it's just... (laughs) I don't think I don't think Dane is going to sit there and go like, man, you guys suck. <laughs> but I'm a, maybe a little bit more of a cynic than that. But I'm getting the feeling that it's just like, yeah, no, like you're, you're just not on the same page. Um, like maybe he's just growing up a little bit faster. Maybe he's just uh, being a little more honest about his his sensitivity uh, as a as a dancing man than these guys are. <laughs> I I don't know. I just I feel like that's a very real thing in this like caricature of a movie, you know? And I can, I can agree with that. And the points that both of you make, I do, I do agree with in the sense that like part of my frustration with this movie is because of how great the actors are in this, because short of Alicia Silverstone in the crush, the introduction to Danny Zuko is the most just like, that is a superstar. You are watching somebody who is about to be the greatest thing in the world. <laughs> and I feel similarly about Michelle Pfeiffer in Greece too. Um, but like Alicia in the crush, she's the, the top of the, uh, of the pyramid for me. Mm-hmm. And then John Travolta in this movie is right underneath it. And it is that gif you're talking about Todd, where he turns around and the music plays and he just kind of smirks mm-hmm. and you're like, God damn, like that is a license to print money. Yeah. And you know, obviously this is young Travolta. We're not going to dive into like Scientology Travolta. Like that is a whole other episode <laughs> for another day. We're talking specifically like young Travolta, like, because my introduction to Travolta, surprisingly, is not great. <laughs> my introduction Pulp Fiction? No, it's Look Who's Talking. <laughs> and I love him in that movie. He's also with, you know, another one of my problematic faves, Kirstie Alley, legend of <laughs> volume hair. Amazing. Um, but I remember going back and seeing Grease and obviously knowing who John Travolta is and being like, wow, he's great. Um, 
John Travolta is doing a fantastic job in this movie. Mm-hmm. He's so charismatic. He's wonderful. He's doing everything he's supposed to do. I fucking hate the character of Danny Zuko to the point where I I would fight this man in real life. <laughs> um, and here's and here's why I hate him. Um, there's obviously the stuff on on Front Street of like, yeah, you took Sandy to the drive-in and then tried to assault her and then sang a song about how sad you are when she left. Go fuck yourself. Like that's the obvious stuff. But to your point, Todd, are you talking about like he he wants to be open about his feelings, but he's also got like the societal pressure to like, uh, you know, do the things like with the boys, so to speak. I, I understand all of this. Mm-hmm. If this were like Sonny or Duty or Putsy or even Kanicki, I would buy that. Danny's the fucking leader. They're not going to he's he can do whatever he wants. He can be the one that's like, hey, guys, maybe we should treat women better. And they'd be like, if Danny says it, we all got to. Because they they hang on every word the entire movie. They all do as he says. Like, yeah, sometimes they'll give him a little shit about things here and there. But for the most part, they listen to him. He's their leader. So at any time, he could have changed the game and didn't. And I get so mad because I'll watch it and he's just bowing to his friends. And I'm like, buddy, what are you doing? But like, in the exact same scene, he'll say something and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, Danny, yeah. And I'm like, oh, you have the power, you motherfucker. Like, how do you not see this? And then I also have to remind myself, he's supposed to be like a 17 or 18-year-old boy. He does not understand the power he has. But then I have that disconnection because I'm looking at grown adults who are playing teenagers. And not just like the way that like the, the cast of Yellow Jackets are all in their 20s playing high schoolers. No, some of them are in like their mid to late 30s playing teenagers. So then I like my brain short circuits because I'm like, y- you should know this. And I have to remind myself, shh, they're, they're children. These are children. They're supposed to be children. But then that leads to other problematic things that we will get to. But yeah, Danny is so frustrating to me. And it's so frustrating because I want to love him because I love John Travolta so much in this role, but I just, I hate him. I hate him so much. I hate, I hate everything he stands for. I hate the choices that he makes. Even like people always try to defend him by being like, well, you know, Sandy, yeah, she changed everything about herself at the end, but you know, he tried too. he went to the gym and he was trying to be an athlete for Sandy. And I was like, no, he wasn't trying to be an athlete for Sandy. He was trying to be an athlete to prove that he was better than other guys. He turned it into a pissing contest. Oh, I was just so frustrated with him. <laughs> <laughs> there is all that bottled up energy well, that you've been sitting on for 40 minutes. <laughs> well, first of all, I, I love, I, like, I, I, I love that, that perspective. I truly do. Like, I, you know, I mean, I don't agree with it at all, but I, but I love it. That's fine. You don't have to. And, I'm not trying to convince you because I know I can't. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, the, because to me, like, from the, from the earliest uh, scenes together of the T-Birds. I see the fragility of his authority in that group. Um, you know, and I would say with whatever judgment anybody else chooses to apply, you know, I, I one of the things that I, I feel like I, I, I frequently come back to when I watch teen movies or when I just hear about teenage celebrities or whatever is that like 
there's there's this incredible juxtaposition of like authority and insecurity and and how those two things are are sort of navigated at the same time what they understand and what they don't understand what's important and what isn't important and the idea you know you you watch the in, the reintroduction scene between Danny and Sandy and and his immediate response to her when he sees her is, is I would say, unfettered enthusiasm. He is. Oh, it's very cute. He mm-hmm. is, you know, unambiguously so sincerely excited to see her. And he just sees the, the, the watching eyes of his, of his male friends who, you know, be it in the 50s or the 70s, you know, very much was looking at or or felt the pressure to be, you know, again, quote unquote masculine, to be to be sort of tough and to not show his vulnerability or excitement or, you know, sincere interest. And I think very much that like, you know, that's what I, you know, I mean, I, again, I don't, I don't agree about the, the sports stuff. Um, I, you know, I, I almost, I was thinking about making a joke about the idea of the end. And I agree with you that, that the, um, that her transformation is not only more rapid, but more superficial than, mm-hmm. uh, than, than he deserves, um, than he deserves. But I also think that there is this idea that, you're right that the other T-Birds hang on his every word, but he also is a person who clearly is like afraid of letting them down to some extent. I mean, you know, I think there's like sort of the moments where he kind of lets his guard down or he's honest, maybe in spite of himself when he's like, when he leaves, when Kinnicky's going to go off with Rizzo after they go over to Frenchie's house, he's like, better than hanging out with you dorks. And he just kind of goes off by himself, mostly because he's wrestling with the sort of confrontation of his feelings for this woman that he never thought he was going to see again, this, this partner. But I, but I think that, um, that there's this kind of wonderful um, sensitivity that comes through even when um, Rizzo throws Sandy more or less literally in his face. You know, it's like there is such a good exchange between Rizzo and Danny in that moment where you watch him kind of back down from that facade of cool and he looks at Rizzo and Rizzo just knows she's just like stuck the knife in and twisted it. And, and she's just kind of grinning just to fuck with him. And, you know, he feels awful that he was so mean to her. And I think he also feels awful that he feels like she put him in that position. And so, I don't know, it's, it's, um, it's easy for me to feel compassionate. I mean, I would say to all the characters to some extent, but to him, because I do feel like there is this idea of like, coolness or popularity or whatever whatever they the t-birds have in this in rydell high is so fragile that jeopardizing that is really scary for a teenager when you're 17 of course these are people who are 23 or you know 27 (laughs) or 47 or however they old however old they are but you know but the idea that they have that the fragility of that teenage uh power that they have that you're talking about that i think literally is you know is what is driving them to make bad (laughs) decisions which Mm -hmm. you know does not excuse everything that they do but i do think that it makes me understand them at least um which is 
the most I, I would say that I would give in, in maybe some cases, which I suspect you will volunteer some more criticisms <laughs> of. So, <laughs> Well, I'm glad that you brought up the, the moment of Rizzo throwing Sandy because that is one of my favorite moments because Stockard Channing is looking into his soul. Like if you look at her face, she knows exactly what she did, 100%. which is it's such a great power move for her. But the reason that that moment is so powerful and why it's a power move is because before this exchange happened, we get Summer Lovin' and we get Sandy's side of the story, which is like this very romanticized and sweet version, mm-hmm. but it's in my opinion, closer to the truth of what likely happened. I mean, and, what we assume, yeah. Yeah, yes. we can only assume. And, you know, and Rizzo is is listening to it, and she even has the line of, like, he sounds like a drag. <laughs> so then when she finds out that it's Danny Zuko, that's when it spikes in her head of, like, oh, this motherfucker. And we know, as somebody who have, as the audience who has seen the other side of Summer Lovin', where I think that Danny played up locker room talk of like, we did all the, oh yeah, she was under the sand. Like, also, this movie is so much filthier than people remember it. <laughs> oh. Like, people always talk about how Grease 2 is like so much dirtier. No, it's just a little bit more obvious about it. But like, this is super filthy. Like, mm-hmm. this whole movie is very much talking about teenagers having sex. Um, but Rizzo knows. She's like, I'm not stupid. I know this guy. He probably told everyone an entirely different thing, and I'm about to get him. I'm going to catch him in this bullshit. And is it because Rizzo's an agent of chaos? Yes. <laughs> and I love that about her. She is an agent of chaos. She lives for the drama. Um, but in that moment, I was like, okay, well, Danny could have taken this in two ways. He could have either been like, hey, guys, remember that girl I was telling you about? Here she is. And like, that would have been shitty because it's like you've told all of your friends that you fucked the shit out of her all summer um and that's not super cool because i don't think that's what happened um or you know he could have just done anything other than what he did but mm-hmm. the fact is rizzo got his number from the get-go and that's why i'm like yeah and this is why men ain't shit because she she knew what you were gonna do and she did it on purpose because boys get it together and also like it's supposed to be the 50s so it's also not their fault because it's a different time and there's a lot of social pressures like these are the things that juggle in my brain <laughs> It's a lot of things, and I agree with all of it from <laughs> both of you. Though I think one thing that we're um, since since we've talked about these two, we can kind of talk about them like together, like yeah, yeah. out in the open now. Um, the one thing we're kind of not really saying specifically is that I don't think Danny's embarrassed to be into Sandy. He's embarrassed of being into Sandy because of what Sandy is, which is that she's that goody goody. And then it paints that weird thing where, like, don't get me wrong, Olivia Newton-John looks fucking amazing in the end of this movie. But it's like, oh, I'm allowed to like you now. It's not embarrassing for me to be into, like, this super blonde square of a girl. And, like, Mm -hmm. that's weird to me. And I don't like that. However, these two don't get a lot of on-screen time alone together. Like, they're constantly having their space invaded. But I like seeing them together. And even if you want to contrast the opening numbers of like, well, opening-ish numbers of Summer Lovin' and it's plonky Captain and Tennealisms versus You're the (laughs) One That I Want, they're finally singing in harmony in the same space and not like together, but separately telling weird versions of a sort of truth. (laughs) A Rashomon-like truth. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I said to BJ, 
in the climax of this movie, which this should be the climax. It should not have another song that goes on after this. Yeah, We Go Together should have been over the credits. Correct. They just hit us with three songs back to back to back at the end, and it's weird. But anyway. it, it climax. <laughs> it's like falling action, I guess. But like it climaxes with the, you're the one that I want. And that is such a good build of a song that even if these two don't have like the most on-screen time and they're kind of fighting the whole time, you put them in a thing together, they have such good vocal chemistry. Oh, yeah. It sells me on it immediately. And I'm, I'm not happy about it is the problem. <laughs> but it's like, okay, this is an unbelievably catchy, weirdly country sensible song that's also extremely poppy and their voices meld together really well. And that's enough to make me really, really be invested in this romance that I've not been the most invested in up to this movie. And maybe that's just me, but, like, I just think that's really interesting. <laughs> no, I mean, and it's a musical and it's powerful. And that's why when we do finally get that, like, big duet out of the two of them, it is the, in my opinion, like, it is the best musical part of of the entire movie mm-hmm. is You're the One That I Want. And it is, just, their voices are so beautiful together. It's bananas how I good also- it is remember uh distinctly going to county fairs and there were like fun houses built like that that would play that song on loop yep ours did too <laughs> so it's like oh my god this is reality <laughs> yeah it's just complete cultural like penetration yes yeah yeah harmony first of all i want to say that i think that's like an absolutely beautiful observation in terms of the way that they their their harmonies are you know are symbolize them coming together i think that's that's not something i had even thought about um uh in the build up to this conversation, but I think it's a really great observation. But, Thank you. But also, I think that, you know, there is the juxtaposition of like, we have the structure of these songs, we have the structure of a musical, and then we also have the reality of what a character or what a person at this age might, how, how they might behave. And that's actually mm-hmm. what's really interesting to me, um, you know, because I, you know, and it's not that I'm more empathetic to a teenage boy, but, but it's, you know, I sort of, I, I, when I see teenage boys now and they, you know, they're like feet and hands are awkward and, and they're not comfortable in their bodies and they, you know, in, in a different way than, than, um, than, than maybe a, a young woman might be like, it's interesting to me because I think about the idea of, of all these other sort of external pressures that exist in the same way that they exist for, 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 for young girls. Um, and, and how those things are, um, sometimes visibly and sometimes very emphatically driving the the choices that they make, whether it's them being mean, whether it's them being vulnerable, whether it's them being confident or insecure, and, you know, and I think that like, you know, Danny, of course, I mean, we, we were talking about earlier, it's like, he just, he comes off the screen, he uses charisma. And I think that like, in a way that he, um, is a person who you would think would be completely open so confident that he could just behave however he wanted. And I think that like throughout the story, um, you know, we, t- you, uh, uh, BJ, you talked about sort of like him trying to sort of go through whatever the motions are of him being an athlete, whatever, you know, and it, and I would say at the end when there's, when they play, uh, 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 we go together, it's like, you know, he has a letter jacket, which I, or a letter sweater, excuse me, which is not necessarily like a, a, a quite a transformation in the way that, that Sandy goes through. But I do think that, um, that, 
you know, he is, I think that he's trying to find a way to communicate that, that he is comfortable with. And it's, and, you know, I mean, I, I would, I would agree uh, as a criticism that, that the movie does not successfully sort of bridge the two of them in the final scene, which is probably why they fly off in a car at the end, you know, like they're just <laughs> trying to, you know, find a way for this to have a happy ending. I, I, w- I would agree that, but, but I do think that like, you know, throughout the, the, the film, like when you watch Danny in the, in the build up to, uh, the, the race, uh, that they're, that, that Kanicki was going to do, you know, they have a moment of tenderness that they like kind of immediately back off of because they're just not comfortable being open about the fact that these two actually are really good friends and they do like understand each other better than the other doofuses who just want to do, um, you know, three, three stooges impersonations or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know? And I, I I don't know. I, I, this is all the stuff that makes this movie so interesting to me because you watch these scenes and um, you, as, as BJ said, you know, it's like, Rizzo is is really looking into his soul at that scene, you know, and you just have these moments where you're like, this is like breaking a dude down that could be, you know, a cool moment, but instead it's like a real moment of like embarrassment and humiliation and uncertainty and all these other things that I think that the actors really bring to it that um, elevates it beyond, you know, maybe a more conventional portrayal of teenagers or something. Hey, Zoko, I got a surprise for you. Oh, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> Sandy! Teddy? What are you, what are you doing here? I, I, I thought you were going back to Australia. We had a change of plan. I can't... <laughs> well, that's cool, baby. I mean, you know how it is. Rockin' and rollin' and whatnot. Danny? <laughs> that's my name. Don't wear it out. What's the matter with you? What's the matter with me, baby? What's the matter with you? (laughs) What happened to the Danny Zuko I met at the beach? Well, I do not know. I mean, maybe, uh, (laughs) maybe there's two of us, right? Yeah, I mean, and that's a lot of where my frustration with this movie comes from is because I'm glad that you brought up the, the scene with, like, Danny and Kinnicky where they have that moment of embrace and then they immediately separate and have to do their hair because like gotta do cool guy stuff can't be gay like I understand this movie's got a lot of gay it's scenes so much there's so much like <laughs> weird gay tension in this movie and like not even because like oh it's a musical but just like it just in general there's a lot of gay energy um I mean obviously gotta shout out Alice Ghostly as Mrs. Murdoch lesbian icon the uh <laughs> the the lady teacher in the auto shop what a what an amazing like She's so random thing she's awesome i love her um like and those are the moments though that i really do enjoy about this like a lot it's a lot of the side stuff that i really really like in this movie just the problems that i have with it are so gigantic and so egregious that it kind of spoils and poisons everything around it and that's that is my my endless fight with this movie because if this movie was just like all bad like holy everything about this is bad it would be a lot easier for me to dismiss. But instead, it's like, I just feel, the movie feels like it's just been edging me for two hours, where it's giving me like so much of what I want and then stuff that makes me like so absolutely repulsed that I want to throw it all out. And it's so infuriating. And Harmony has her hand up, so I'm going to oh, see what you got to say. I just got a lot of dramatic tension right now, just fidgeting over here. So, um, BJ, I, I, have, I have a question for you specifically. Oh, no. Because I'm, I'm, 
I'm I'm not even playing devil's advocate. I'm like staunchly like right in the middle of this conversation uh-huh, in uh-huh. every aspect because I'm I'm like I'm seeing both sides in, in I like I feel both sides in my soul. <laughs> so, but here's my question: Are Obvious- you a grease libertarian? That's what I want to know. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> I'm gre- gonna leave. A grease centrist. I don't have to take this. <laughs> yes, your question. Your question. That's what I, I love. That. God. Okay. Anyway, so obviously we talk a lot about how like depiction is not endorsement. Correct. There's a lot of things that are um, sketchy for a movie, but it's also the 70s, but it's also the 50s, so it gets into a gray area of like, oh, there's, there's a weird moral there's, thing going on here. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Exactly. So let's let's account for that but more mm-hmm. importantly let's assume that Greece is not the fucking biggest movie of the year it comes out mm-hmm. let's assume Greece is like pulls Greece 2 numbers or like rock and roll high school's numbers mm-hmm. and it's like a cult film mm-hmm. now that there is not a significant amount of cultural like build up to this movie mm-hmm. does all of this bother you as much no yeah cuz it, it is p- the reason <clears throat> it bothers me this much is purely because of how huge it became and how unchecked a lot of these problems were for so long. Like, a thing that I've been telling people for a very, very long time is that when stupid-ass Trump used to say, like, <laughs> make America great again, or like Ma- like MAGA, you could swap out great with Greece, and that's still what he wanted. Like, the world of Greece is what he wanted. He wants boys to be able to sneak under bleachers and look up girls skirts and not get in trouble for it he wants people of color to only exist as your form of entertainment and not actually have rights like these these are all things that this we have idealized this time period so much because we don't like we've talked about this on our pleasantville episode but we don't ever want to interrogate what was really going on in this time period and how much stuff was normalized and then carried through when we got into like, you know, Reaganism, which was essentially him trying to go back to the 1950s again, Uh um, which is also weird because Greece comes out and then like Reaganism happens and you're like, oh God. Um, Like, so those are things that are really problematic for me. But the fact is that this movie exploded. And when you look at like older reviews of it or, you know, a lot of the analysis that came out, there really isn't a lot that is dissecting the very like on the nose problems like Vince Fontaine dropping an aspirin into the coke of Marty Maraschino who is supposed to be like 16 or 17 fucked up like that's so wrong and like haha that's hilarious like no that's not funny like that's really really not funny and like the the stuff in the drive-in not funny like these are things that are presented as like haha jokes what a fool and like if this were in a movie that did not become the biggest thing in the world, I would be able to write off so much of it. But similarly to how, like, you feel with the transphobia of Silence of the Lambs, like, yeah, the reason that we don't hold a movie like Sleepaway Camp to the same standard with its transphobia is because it's fucking Sleepaway Camp. It's like a trash slasher movie that, like, mostly diehard people are fans of. It didn't win Oscars. Greece didn't, is it didn't of, win every Oscar. Yeah, Greece is one of the mo- like biggest selling movies of all time. And it's like, we watch it with our grandparents and we watch it with our parents and community theaters. You watch it with babies. You watch it with babies. Community theaters put productions of this. The, the theater group that I worked for in Cleveland waited until I moved to California to put on a production of Greece because they knew I wouldn't have stood for it. And it's like this thing that everybody kind of universally loves. And then when you 
inter- try to interrogate people about the things that are wrong with it, they're like, well, yeah, I mean, like, that's there, but, like, the the music's great, and, like, I love the, the iconography, and I love all these things, and when a movie becomes this big, people, like, like, their brains shut off, like, they forget to love things critically. Like that is that is a, a big tenant of mine, and that is a big part of this show, mm-hmm. is learning how to love things critically. And this is a movie that has kind of become untouchable in a lot of ways until very, very recently. Um, I, I have been feeling quite vindicated in the last like two years or so where people have been like, wait a minute, actually. And I'm like, yes, thank you for for seeing my, my frustration. Because I feel like I've been gaslit my entire life by the world for my my uneasiness with this movie, if that makes sense. Um, so like is... A lot of my my hatred for this movie very like personally targeted. Yeah, of course, absolutely. That's what we do in the show is we talk about our personal relationships to these movies. But yes, to, to this is a very long winded answer. But to answer your question, had Greece not exploded, um, I would have so many less issues with this movie because I'd be able to contextualize it um, from the sense of like it as a piece of art and not as a piece of culture because that is the difference because analyzing Greece is not just analyzing a movie it's analyzing a fucking mindset and a lifestyle and like it gets so much more messy and complicated and frustrating yeah no i get that that's i'm going to breathe now that's, <laughs> please do that i'm sure that you might be a little lightheaded after that i might have a fever like but, we'll find out but like if you think of 1950s america and you think about like the culture of greece like people don't think of actual 1950s america they think of greece they think of greece and they think of leave it to beaver like that's yeah. what they think of like when you go to a halloween store and you're looking for like some sort of like a poodle skirt or or like 50s cool guy outfit they look like greece yeah. And they still look like Greece and it's been like 45 years. And like obviously those those like archetypes are a thing. That fashion style is a thing, but it has become it, like the 19 the world of the 1950s has been greesified because you're absolutely right. You go to the Halloween store and you want to buy like a 50s outfit, you don't get like a cool like Donna Reed dress. You don't get that option. You don't option. get Rizzo's outfit. You don't get Rizzo's outfit of like cool capris and like the fun like button up shirt. You get Sandy and Patty Simcox. Like that's what you get. Mm-hmm. I don't think I agree. <laughs> I mean, okay. I mean, I said that more more as a as a jokey punchline, but but you know, like I, I don't know. I I have more mixed. I would just say I have more mixed feelings about the idea of evaluating art on the basis of its impact rather than its than its actual uh, creative ambitions um because of course like you know in 1978 when this was created this was drawing upon the lexicon of the 50s in the same way that to some extent american graffiti was five years earlier it was i mean it's really trying Mm -hmm. to paraphrase sort of the 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 very superficial cultural highlights of the fifties for teenagers. So, I mean, you're, you're right that it is a a reference point, I think for people about the fifties, but no more so than it was in 1978. I don't think that it's like more or less uh, sophisticated and obviously whatever your reaction is to it. I, I in, in, in no way want to discount or, or dismiss um, but I also think that like the, the musical itself was already 
subverting the the ideas of the 50s when it was created and so the idea that it is as as you pointed out bj that it's that it's much more much filthier much more you know much more adult and darker than the than than it lets on um i think is is part and parcel of of the musical that was created in 1971 um but i do think that um and i think that it's and i think that it's fair to have whatever criticisms uh you you take away from the characterizations the performances and so on but i also think that um it was itself trying to subvert things in the same way that i would argue that saturday night fever was and also the other film in the John Travolta uh, blockbuster breakout trilogy, Urban Cowboy, all of which are very much about <laughs> dismantling um, sort of traditional masculinity, dismantling these ideas of like what it means to be um, artistic versus, you know, sort of more classically um, masculine, uh, being vulnerable, all these other things, which all these films explore, in my opinion um to to varying degrees of success but but i think that um uh i don't know it's again it's it's a situation where like i feel like you're right that it is somewhat cartoonish in its depiction of the 50s i think that is which i think is by by is on purpose i also think that it is um you know meaningfully uh emotional in terms of uh the characterizations and the story enough that people who whether they're watching it with their grandparents or 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 whomever they're they're showing it to you know i think it can be embraced as a joyful artistic endeavor as a musical without a person necessarily if you're 12 years old or 10 years old or whatever and you're hearing the the earliest songs or or summer nights or whatever it is i think they just enjoy it which is to say that um you know, as you get older and you watch this movie more, then you start to explore and understand some of those things more greatly. But I would would agree with you that I think that, by and large, the volume of people who have watched and loved this movie embrace it for its color and its energy and its musicality more so than they do the nuances that may, um, in your case, be uh, more, uh, deserving of criticism or maybe more problematic. And in my case, maybe more nuanced in terms of the portrayal of the characters or the performances or whatever. And I definitely don't like, I don't disagree with you on a lot of these things. Like I genuinely do think that there is some really interesting stuff going on in terms of dismantling kind of like this toxic masculinity before we had a word for it. I, like, I do agree that that's happening in this movie and it's important to see because we don't see that examined very often. Certainly not in the 70s. Especially <laughs> yeah, not then. Sure. And I also, like, I don't have a problem with this being, like, kind of, like, cartoony and colorful and, you know, high energy. One, it is a musical. And two, um, I actually like the stage version, like, the script. I like it better because I think it le- it it winks at the camera a little bit more, or I guess the proscenium wall in this case, because it's a theater. Um, but it, it seems to be a little bit more self-aware of what it's doing in terms of like it's subverting of the 1950s. Whereas the movie feels a little bit 
like it's it's both sidesing for me a little bit where it feels like it's it's presenting it like this is a fun high energy campy musical but at the same time is very emotionally grounded so it it makes its moral sort of presentation a little muddy for me because like if they had gone like really leaned into the the subversion bordering on camp then I would like the message would hit home a lot harder, like what they're trying to do. But when they're both sizing it a little bit, then, you know, you're right. People do miss out on kind of this like nuanced storytelling that's happening, especially with Danny, because they're so distracted by the spectacle of big musical. Um, that's why like something like uh, Little Shop which is also like doing a lot of subversion works better for me because they really, really lean into kind of the absurdity of all of it and what they're doing. So the message of like poverty and stuff hits a lot harder for me. Whereas in this movie, it, it feels a little muddy. Um, and I also do want to say that in terms of like the ending of this movie, and this is, you know, speaking just as, Somebody who grew up with this movie, who knows it very well, who's been surrounded by it forever. This is one of the earliest moments that I have as a girl where I was basically told that my value in this world is within my proximity to men. Because while at the end of this movie, yes, Danny has his little Letterman sweater on, the second he sees Sandy and she's like hot mama that sweater fucks off so fast <laughs> and he just he throws it to the wind and it's like all right done with this nerd shit time to be a cool guy again because now i got a cool hot lady that i'm allowed to like and it was like it's a really hard message to grapple especially when like i always saw myself as rizzo like that is always who i identified with but knowing like the takeaway that i had with this is like I have to like I have to change everything in order to be seen as like viable or as somebody that's worthy and like the like the like that just really like upset me when I was little because I I wasn't old enough to contextualize that but I would like I don't know if this is a thing that either of you did because you were both socialized as as boys but um we used to like play movies like my friends and I where it would be like oh we're gonna play Freaky Friday today or whatever and then somebody would pretend to be the mom the other person pretend to be the kid and then we'd switch and then we'd like essentially act out the movie we used to play Greece all the time as as little kids and everybody was so excited to play Sandy they all wanted to play Sandy at the end because that meant that they could like go put on the play makeup and put on like the play jewelry and like they could you know use the curling iron and do their hair and make it really big and it was like the thrill of a lifetime to change everything about yourself to be the star and as a little, little kid, like before I could contextualize what that meant, it bothered me. And now as an adult, I look back at it and I'm like, huh, I really hate that. Like, I like it really bothers me. Similarly to also why I don't like The Little Mermaid. <laughs> Hashtag <laughs> Ursula was right. Um, but <laughs> it's, it's just one of those things where like I never had the luxury as a kid watching this movie to allow myself to to see the bigger picture because the ultimate takeaway was in order to be happy in order to you know get the guy in order to have everything that you've ever wanted you have to do what society is like telling you to do and that is so bothersome and I don't think that people fully grasp like how intense that messaging is especially from a movie that was this successful. 
And like, I know that that's the easiest criticism to make on Greece. It's the one that everyone goes to, but that it's real. Like it's very, very real and has manifested in my own life in ways that I only started unpacking like in my mid twenties. And like, that's, that's upsetting to me. Like I want to be able to enjoy the nuance of Danny. I want to be able to enjoy the nuance of like what's going on with Rizzo and Kinnicky, who is, in my opinion, the way more interesting story. Like <laughs> that is that is like the Degrassi of Greece is what's going on <laughs> with Rizzo and Kinnicky. We got teen pregnancy. We've got people insulting your girl saying she's only worth a quarter. Like there's a lot going on over at, on the B plot. Um but I couldn't enjoy any of that until I got much older. And that sucks. Like, I shouldn't I shouldn't feel that way. Like, that sucks. Well, I wanted to ask, uh, as I was listening to that, Harmony, do you, did you did you have a, uh, an experience like uh, she was talking about in terms of sort of acting things out or 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 an early experience with Greece that was anything like that? Um, no, I did not think very much about Greece. I was just like. Ooh, colors. Uh, I think that was pretty much like as much thought as I put into Greece uh, until I got much older. And I actually had not seen Greece until since high school, until we revisited it last night for this episode. Mm -hmm. So I, it was kind of out of sight, out of mind and didn't even address it. But no, we, I absolutely did like pretend to do oh, good. movies. I uh, specifically, that. I always wanted to be Indiana Jones. And my much shorter <laughs> friend, uh, he got to be short round. I mean, short. I understand. Yes. <laughs> I, I was tall. I had to be Dr. Jones. That's how it works. <laughs> I broke a jump rope so that it was a whip. So that it didn't have one of the handles. <laughs> he wasn't breaking toys. Well, I was going to say, you know, I first of all, I, I just empathize entirely uh, with the idea and I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, you know, listening to you, to hear you, uh, speak about the idea of feeling some sense of pressure or obligation when you see the end of this movie. And I, like, I totally understand that. And I think that's mm -hmm. an entirely, uh, valid criticism. Um, and I would, I would agree with you that, that, that by and large, the movie does not stick the landing when it comes to, finding an accord uh, a, a balance between the positions that these two characters are at at the beginning of the film to 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 bring them together um you know and i think that like my takeaway uh, by like as as a whole is uh more i would say in the nuances than maybe it is in the broad strokes of the story which is you know trying to arrive at a happy ending trying to arrive at a conclusion that is, you know, quote unquote, satisfying in a, in a narrative way. Um, I personally, you know, am, am, was more than happy, uh, during my honeymoon for, for my wife to wear stretch pants and candies, you know, that was, that was fantastic. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, we're, we're in Italy and she's like, by the way, I bought some candies. And I was like, oh my God, this is, you know, um, this, it was pretty incredible. Um, and to be fair, your wife is like dumb hot. Yeah. So like, <laughs> this is, this is all good things. Yes. Yes. Um, but, but, uh, you know, but, but to your point, uh, like I, I completely understand that. And I, and I understand how that 
might put pressure or, you know, feel, create feelings of inadequacy or, or uh, like as you're watching it. Like, I think that my, to whatever extent I feel compelled to defend against that, I would say that I feel like to some extent you have to remind yourself again that these are supposed to be teenage kids. And so what you're, what you have is like two kids who are in different social strata, um, meaning Danny and Sandy, not even dealing with sort of the larger circles of the T-Birds and the Pink Ladies, but Mm -hmm. the ideas of these two people who, you know, they're coming, they're going into their last year of high school. I mean, I was like, I was like five feet tall when I graduated from, from high school and I grew to like six feet tall in the first year of college. Like I didn't hit puberty really until then. And so, you know, I was a kid who didn't really have any sense of perspective on what was cool or being popular or anything else. And, um, and I feel like I I look at it in a broader way to be more empathetic, which I understand if, if you're not inclined to do, but to me, I look at it like, these are two people who are sort of trying to explore their identity at this very specific and very high pressure point in their lives where there is all this social uh, pressure to be a certain way, to, to, to fit in with the people, um, as, as you both were saying about the idea of like, well, these are people who I are my social group. <laughs> I don't know if I agree with them. I mean, you know, I, having watched, um, uh, West Side Story just a couple of months ago, I, I was thinking about the idea of, of how, um, the, like the main character, like he's outgrown the rest of, uh, you know, of, of his gang at the beginning mm-hmm. of that movie. And, mm-hmm. and I think that to some extent Danny has, like he went away for a summer, which it's, it's hilarious to me, quite frankly, that they didn't see each other over the summer. Because of course, when you're a kid and you're a teenager, you're like, we hang out every weekend. We go up and, you know, hang out in the parking lot or whatever it is. But the idea that, that none of them saw one another during the summer vacation and then they get back to school to me is a testament to the fact that they clearly all have gone through different experiences. And I think that, you know, Danny, for whatever reason, he goes to the beach if he was working or he was at whatever he was doing, maybe he was in summer school. I don't even know, but he had this experience where he met this person who opened a degree of emotional um, sensitivity that he had not experienced with the people who, you know, for better or for worse, he's like, you know, all the girls, everybody's made it with at school. He didn't have any reason to sort of open up and to contemplate sort of a more sophisticated perspective on the world. And so then you have Summer Loving, which is him still um, dealing with the idea that like, well, I have to present myself as this masculine, you know, sexualized young man, even though you know, I mean, like the fact that Kaniki, when he and Rizzo are about to have sex for the first time, he's got a he's got a condom that he's like, I bought it in the seventh grade, which to me it's is such a good line which, delivery, which too. to me is such a testament <laughs> to the fact that he probably hasn't even actually had sex before. I mean, like, I don't think it's like, well, he's had sex a whole bunch and just never used a condom. I think it's that he's never had sex before. These are all people who are really trying to advertise as as many teenagers are their adulthood way before they're ready to do so and so Mm -hmm. these are people who are dealing with that and that's actually just super powerful to me um you know when i when i see any story about teenagers and and so 
And so I think that that's what gives me the sort of, um, that, that makes me extend my sympathies or my understanding to it. Even though I will say that I completely understand what you, what you're saying, BJ, about uh, certainly about the ending. Uh, but, but also, I mean, like the idea of sort of, uh, to me of, of navigating between a social obligation and, a, and the personal obligation of who you are beginning to realize in high school, who you really are. I think that's really a powerful journey that of course is writ large on this extremely broad canvas that happens to be very colorful, very loud and very catchy, which is why people pay attention to the songs mm-hmm. more so than they pay attention to the nuances of the characters and other elements. Oh yeah. They're way more distracting. Graduation? Yeah. Maybe we'll never see each other again. No, that'll never happen. How do you know? What do you mean, how do I know? Oh, I'll follow you, my We go Yeah. So I'm going to drop a huge bomb on this on this room. <laughs> okay. And I need everyone to brace themselves. Uh-oh. Because what I'm about to say is something that I have never said out loud, put in writing, been on a, any podcast. And like, mind you, I am a person who has been on a podcast who talked for two hours about how much I hate this movie. But I'm going to say a thing I've never said before. Mm-hmm. I cannot believe this is going on public record. This is all for the patrons. <laughs> Y'all did this. Take away the broad brushstrokes and like the very obvious issues that Greece has. I love the messaging of Greece. I love wow. what it has to say about masculinity. I love what it has to say about slut shaming. I love what it has to say about societal pressure. I love what it has to say about groupthink. I love the music. Like, I like Grease 2's music better. That is very true. That is always true. Also has better choreography because that movie's directed by a choreographer. Um, but <laughs> the, the frustration and I think why my hatred has swung so intently is because I know that at its core, this is a movie that is doing everything that I want it to do. And it is analyzing and saying a lot of things that I want to say in a very nuanced way. And that's why I get so much pain from those big broad brushstrokes because that is that is what has been surrounding me for my entire life that I cannot escape. And that's like, that's the, the, the big pain that I have is it feels like to me that I am like, like Greece is on the top of a mountain, right? And all of like the juicy nuance and like really interesting storytelling and really interesting like analysis, it's all right there. And I am being pulled by my ankles as I'm trying to climb this mountain by a bunch of screaming suburban moms that don't know how to say ramalamalamakadingadingadingadong and they're just screaming it at me and just yelling about 
changing everything that you want to, to, to impress a guy or you have to be this way or you have to do this. Like all of these big brushstroke things are keeping me from being able to get to the top of that mountain and enjoy everything that Greece has to offer. That is everything that I love. And like, I don't get to go there. And like, that's why I'm so mad about it because it's right there. Like I see it, I know that it exists. I would, I could analyze Danny and Kaniki's friendship forever. I could analyze there are worse things I could do forever because they're so juicy and saying so much with so little, it's incredible. And I can't do it because then I just like get intrusive thought of the stuff that like no one ever wants to address with this movie. So yeah, that is the deep dark secret is that at my core, I love Greece, but just the shit that surrounds it makes it so that I can't love it. And then it makes me more mad. Oh God, I said the quiet part out loud. So, so basically it's like someone made you like a bountiful feast and then added cilantro, and now it's all you can taste. <laughs> and now it's all I can taste. It's soap, man. It's everything. Like, it's so infuriating. It's everything that I want. I love movies that are not afraid to be like, hey, guess what? It's really hard for boys, too. I love that shit. And yet, I think about it, and then it's like, but wait, does any of it matter? Because she just changes herself, and then he fucks off that sweater? Oh, it kills me. It kills me. Like if they would have stuck that landing a little bit better, I would probably have so much less like hatred for it. If they would have not tried to normalize the fact that Marty Maraschino is being assaulted on live TV, maybe it'd be a lot cooler. But it's just like, God damn it. It's all right there. It's all it is an over the pants rub down. You're not feeling anything good about it. <laughs> That's all I got. Oh, oh my god! I I can't believe I said that I actually like Greece like out loud. What the fuck is wrong with me? I mean, I, I mean, this is this is more than quite frankly I ever could have hoped for or expected. So, so I love it. I mean, and I'm sure that you were like so high on power right now. No, no, I don't even mean like I'm vindicated. I just mean I'm like the, the thing for me is that you know like with anything that I love. I mean, like literally. It's like if I can communicate what I love and I can share that with somebody and and they can be, you know, sort of, you know, imbued with that and experience it in any way. If I can, you know, to whatever extent I may have spotlighted some elements that I think are successful that that resonate with you in any way is just wonderful. I mean, you know, the truth is that, you know, it's funny. I watched like an hour, a little more than an hour of the movie tonight. And I, I had to stop it right before the beginning of the hand jive and the Mm -hmm. hand jive to me could be the greatest scene. And I, I say this with the caveat that I will say things are the greatest thing ever pretty much every day. And it'll be different every single day. (laughs) Same. But the, the hand jive could be the greatest scene in movie history because you have, it's funny. You have the moment where, where, um, crater face goes and he's like talking shit to, to Kaniki about Rizzo. And I'm like, you know what? I was like, I was like, he's a real dick. And I was like, but he also is with the best dancer in this whole movie, except for John Travolta, because mm-hmm. once she Ugh. comes into the hand jive, she, is the only person who can keep up with him. 
And when mm-hmm. they do that reveal of Cha Cha like slow walking with the saxophone behind oh her, like cinema. I yeah. love her. I love Cha Cha. Cha Cha rules. Much. I love Cha Cha. Yeah, and and it's and and she's so great, but also. John Travolta is so self-assured. I mean, this is one of the things that, like, to me, um, is, it makes the movie so great, is that, like, I mean, it, I don't think that the musical elements are something that um, that is presented in a realistic way, like, in, in, a, in a character way, which is to say that, like, a person who was good at dancing would be embarrassed in front of their friends because they want to be cool. Like it's a musical, so they're singing, you mm-hmm, know, or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I think that like the idea, the fact that John Travolta is so good at, at singing and dancing and you watch him in those scenes where he's just going for it and it feels so effortless and so exciting. And, you know, they're doing that thing where they have, where they move their leg and their hand in the front and the back that's a thing that i have like spent many hours trying to perfect quite frankly <laughs> um because i i quite i personally i love dancing like that's a thing that i not that i'm a pretty good dancer myself but not on a john travolta level but but like you know i just think there's there those are the things irrespective of like the deeper elements that really resonate with me that excite me that are so fun to watch but it's like, you know, you watch the opening, you watch that early scene where, where, where Frenchie brings um, Sandy over to the pink ladies and they're talking and, and, uh, and I, I wish I remember what it was. Rizzo asked Sandy a question and like, it's some, and Sandy gives an answer where she's just so like sort of wholesome and innocent and she asks her, uh, uh, "How's it down under?" And she goes, "Oh, fine, thanks." Yeah, yeah. Which is the equivalent of any time on RuPaul where they're like, "How's your head?" And somebody doesn't say, "Haven't had any complaints yet." <laughs> and you know, but the idea that that Rizzo she like flips her collar, and there's this grin of like this rube, and this you know, like that is like stuff like that is what I like. I live for in this movie. And there's so many moments like that in this movie where you, where again, it's, it's a little bit outside of the action. It's like on the periphery of the frame. I think Randall Kleiser actually does a really wonderful job staging everything. Bill Butler. I mean, he's, oh, yeah. he's the director. He was also the director of photography for like Jaws and other things. So, I mean, he was mm-hmm. no joke, but the idea of, of these scenes that are in this like cinemascope where there's the main preliminary action which is like the dipshit t-birds again doing their uh you know three stooges impersonation and then you have danny and sandy on either side of the frame who are trying to or Dan, sandy's trying to understand it and danny's trying to he's wrestling with his feelings all those things are so fantastic to me and quite frankly i i'll add that you know one of the things about greece that's that's kind of amazing is you know as a person who's 156 years old like i am um when <laughs> when you know when i watched it as as a kid it was um, you know, it was pan and scan. So you had this like four by three framing. So you weren't seeing all of the nuances of the relationships and the performances and everything. So to your point, BJ, like, you know, the movie really kind of was pared down to this very basic, straightforward depiction of all this stuff that was created in the original musical. So it was just 
it wasn't about the performances. It was like a bunch of really voluminous um, uh, songs and, and dance sequences. And w as you get older and you can watch it in its full aspect ratio, there is all this nuance and all this stuff to me that really makes it that much more uh, resonant and, and powerful and interesting above and beyond um, the fact that I will remind you, as you said at the beginning of this, that you were singing every lyric to every song as you were watching it, even though you were hating it. So, you know, I just want to, <laughs> you know, I mean, like, it's like, you know, all that stuff exists. And I think that all the criticisms that you have are completely valid. But I also think there is a more, you know, I, I would say it, it requires both a more specific and a more broad kind of empathy for the characters looking at them as teenagers to kind of give them uh, to some extent the benefit of the doubt not to the the uh slipping a an aspirin in somebody's drink but but right. in terms of 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 the way that these characters are are really wrestling with their um identity because you know i think we all were as if, as if we've all perfected our identities now, but I mean, you right. know, but in, in when we were 17 or going into our, our senior year of high school, um, that you are just in such in, uh, you know, such a degree of uncertainty about who you are. I mean, and if you were certain, then you were much luckier than I was, quite frankly. <laughs> and something that I do want to, uh, to kind of bounce off of that I is a positive. Um, and I'm glad that you brought up the hand jive is because like, I love all of the music from Johnny Casino and the gamblers. Like it's some of my favorite music in the whole show. Uh, magic changes is, is the tops for me. I love it so much. Um, but what Greece also did that is so, so impressive. So I know I threw the line in there earlier that Greece too has better choreography it does because it's harder choreography. Like it is dancer choreography. A lot of the choreography in Greece is really, really accessible. The hand jive is super accessible. Grease lightning, super accessible. Uh, there are a lot of like big kind of dance moments that people can do, which also makes you develop a, a deeper connection with a with a movie that way when you can not only sing the songs and know all the words, but you can also move with them. Like, because then it, it puts the movie into your body. And, you know, this is me coming from like a, a musical theater and somebody who has 20 plus years of dance training background. There is, there is definitely a kinship that happens when you can do the hand jive with the people on the screen. And like, when we get to the American Bandstand and, and, John Travolta and and Chacha, I always forget the actress's name, but when they're dancing, like it's kind of one of the first times in the movie that you're seeing people do dances that are not immediately attainable. Like there's definitely some featured dancers in other scenes, like in Summer Lovin' or in the stuff at the carnival. Like Harmony pointed out, there's one girl that's just on top of the ticket booth. Like <laughs> there's no rhyme or reason. She's just up there dancing her face off. Or some guy whose choreography is the tramp. Yeah. Oh God, that he looks like a duck. <laughs> um, but like... Well, like I mean, Kaniki in in Grease Lightning, where he does a somersault into the engine block of the car, right. and he's just kicking his legs in the air. That's one of those things that I kind of love. And also, I'm like, that was really all you guys could come up with. Like, you yeah, know. it's like it's such like musical theater schlock, and I live for that um, because, <laughs> but it becomes attainable. So then, like, this is a movie that can like carry people because 
when the American bandstand scene was going on, I was like making dinner or something and I was in the kitchen and I knew the choreography mm-hmm. and I knew the, I knew the, the, the music. I also knew my alto line from when we did a grease medley in high school. Like <laughs> I, it lives in me and there's such a power to that. Not a lot of movies can do that. And grease is one that I think like kind of universally has that power, which is really, really cool. And I mean, again, that's why I push at my hipster glasses. Why I love grease too so much is because I can do those dance moves, but a lot of other people can't. So it makes me feel good about myself. <laughs> so I get like that little perk going on. Yeah. And I totally understand that. Like uh, it's something that's a lot more controversial, I guess, nowadays in the last few years, especially as people talk about like, oh, well, the Beatles weren't actually that good. Well, it's like, fuck off. <laughs> like they're, they're not for me. I think they're fine. Um, the way I've heard it described by someone much smarter than me was like, if you grew up with them, you have that attachment and that means you have that resonance and that matters. And I think that's works for this comparison, which is that, is there more complicated shit out there than like, Hey Jude? Absolutely. But is it extremely easy for 80,000 people in a stadium to just go nah over and over and over again? Yes. And there's something powerful to everyone having this very collective, very simple experience like that. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the appeal of, of a lot of what Greece offers. Yeah, that's that's the hand jive. That's why every single people, like anybody who goes to a karaoke bar, if they're like, I don't know what to do, you can go come up here and sing Summer Lovin' with me and the entire bar will sing with you and be mm-hmm. stoked about it. Like that's power and like it's mm-hmm. very, very cool that a movie exists that has that power. Like, it's, these are things that I will never dispute when it, it comes to Greece. It's almost genius in how simple and accessible it it's is. It's, like, annoyingly brilliant is yeah. what it is. Like, it's frustratingly smart. Like, how well-crafted this is, especially mm-hmm. for a movie musical. Like, and that's why it became the it be, it became the blueprint for so many movie musicals because, like, they just nailed it so hard. And it's not easy to do that because, like... We were talking about the top of the show and we have like things like Cabaret. Like I fucking love Cabaret. Like give me Liza all day, every day. The music in Cabaret is really hard to sing to if you are not a singer. Mm -hmm. Um, The dancing in Cabaret is really hard to do unless you're a dancer. You Grease is attainable. You and your buddies can do Grease. And like that makes it fun. Mm -hmm. And that's a like that's a really cool aspect of this movie that like I'm I'm never going to be mad about. I just wish, and I think we've talked about this on on our Patreon when we do teen boy movies, my issue with Grease is the same issue that I have with The Goonies, is that because it's a movie that got so big and so beloved, like, people forget to use their brain when it comes to this movie. And, like, that really... I'm not as much mad at Greece as I am about like what people have taken from Greece. Like I wish people took the nuance, but they don't. And then they ignore all the problems and act like it's an untouchable masterpiece where I'm like, no, 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 we can do both. We can do both friends. I, sw- I promise you we can do both. That's the, uh, the downside of the, uh, the brilliance of simplicity. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. I feel like I'm in therapy right now. God. <laughs> well, uh, first of all, I, I will, I will say, uh, Harmony, that's a great point. Um, uh, because, you know, many years ago, I, I, uh, as a, as a very active and passionate music listener and collector, um, I, I read something once that said like, you know, just because an artist is the creator of something does not necessarily mean that they're good or, or that they are the best at it. 
And mm-hmm. I remember because I, I'm not a person who typically listens to, say, the blues, for example. But, you know, when you listen to like Robert Johnson, that's much different than B.B. King or, or, or someone who came after them mm-hmm. or who took sort of the blues song structure and transformed it into something else. And uh, and I do think I mean, as a person who loves the Beatles, I mean, like, I, I think that they're they created the building blocks of contemporary pop music. So for better I'm on for, your team with this. It's, <laughs> well, I was going to say for better, for worse, if you don't like the Beatles, you are right that there is much more sophisticated stuff out there. But also there is a great value in the ability to tap into something that is um, undeniably musical, even primal, that brings people together and makes them just sort of instantly connect over a melody, over a lyric, over whatever it is. So I think that's like, um, I think that's really, uh, you know, it's that's something that I think is really important because I do, th- I, I'm not sure that I think that th- this movie is is such, is so basic that that like it's not, that it lacks any complexity at all. But I do think that like the broad strokes of it are so powerful that people have um, by virtue of be it watching it on pan and scan or watching it 150 times and thinking about the things that they think about after they watch the movie, they've taken from it those most basic things. Because whenever I watch it, when I was watching it tonight, I was like, I'm like almost brought to tears at like the moments of sensitivity. Like, I mean, even, even watching Kaniki and, and Rizzo in the backseat of, of his car, when they go up to like make out peak, they have this moment with the condom and everything. And like, it's like, can I understand that? Like as a, if I were a 17 year old kid who was like, you know, I want to be an adult, I can handle this situation. I can do all these things like that stuff's really powerful to me. And like, it's kind of amazing, even though that's not the stuff that people are taking away from it by and large, because they're experiencing summer loving or whatever. And I will say about summer loving, uh, say what you will about the choreography, but I was watching it tonight and I was thinking about the fact that they're on those bleachers that the T-Birds. How are they not all busting and, their ass? And, like, it's so and, impressive. <laughs> and, and and what it is, what's kind of amazing is John Travolta's on the, on the seat part. And of course, the rest of the T-Birds are on the, like, the walking part. And, mm-hmm. and I watch, um, uh, Jeff Conaway, like, like step over and they're like navigating the sort of like little circle as they're walking down them and they're singing at the same time. And I'm like, I can only imagine how many times they practice that to make sure that it, <laughs> that nobody busted their ass or broke their ankle because it was such a, um, because it really is like, it's, 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 it's not sophisticated choreography, but because of the terrain, it's it's complicated, mm-hmm. you know. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, I have the I have a similar feeling when we watched uh, Ten Things I Hate About You and Heath Ledger is on like the bleachers yeah. that are made of stone, and I'm like, buddy, if you take a tumble, you're not getting up. <laughs> like mm-hmm. this is, yeah. you'll at least stop if you're on metal bleachers because you won't keep rolling. I was like, but those stone bleachers, whoo. <laughs> yeah. So. I th- <laughs> I mean, y'all got me to admit that I actually, <laughs> in my heart of hearts, deep down beneath my Grinch-sized heart, do actually enjoy Grease. Um, but <laughs> before we start wrapping things up, uh, Todd, is there anything else about this movie that you you think needs to be brought to light um, for for anyone listening? Well, I'll say, you know, I feel like you've you've done a really remarkable job, more so than I ever would have expected for you to come towards my perspective and i'm that means so much to me it really does 
whether or not it was me being persuasive or just uncovering things that were already there, I'm happy. I'm so pleased. So I you will... just broke my walls down. It's all stuff that like I've been. I know this about myself. This is not like a new revelation. It's just saying the quiet part out loud. Finally, sure. Well, what I will say is, you know, as I was watching the movie tonight. Now, as an adult, I will say that listening to Hopelessly Devoted to You, I do really like that song, and I think it's really great. And I, and when you were talking earlier about knowing the parts where they 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 break to another uh, a note, I was like, that was I was thinking about Hopelessly Devoted to You, where she hits the same when she does the second chorus, and she just like goes to another level. It's like so great. Oh, that key change is so nice. Um, but I will say that <laughs> when I was change. when I was a kid, I that was the one that I skipped, and then the other one was was Beauty School Dropout. Those were the two, and I would I would argue that Beauty School Dropout is kind of superfluous. Like I mean, like of mm-hmm. all the pieces that's in the movie, I think that that's the least essential. Um, mm-hmm. And so I will say that like. It was, it's like when I watch it now, it, like to me, it's, it doesn't bother me to be in there, but it, but those are not things that I'm like, oh God, I love watching that just as much as I do everything <laughs> else. Like, I'm kind of like, all right, I've watched these other songs, you know, be it Summer Nights or Are You the One That I Want or whatever it was. So I will say that, that I, I, you know, far be it for me to say that I love every single moment or second of this movie. Um, I, I would agree with you that there are, certain certain scenes that that are not as essential but but more than anything i'm i'm just so happy that we got to do this because um i quite frankly i I don't think i've ever done i've certainly i've done i've never done a podcast about this movie but but it's been a long long time i the last time i really remember thinking about this movie with this degree of depth was when the 1998 re-release came out and the local critic at the Charlotte Observer gave it a C plus um, in in the newspaper, and I was like, "This is the most unhappy asshole I've ever read in my life." <laughs> and I, it was one of these because it was because it wasn't even like like your criticisms are substantial. I mean, like like seriously, like like I understand the perspective that you had. He was just kind of like. Eh, it's popular so i don't really like it like there was nothing really there and and he was a person who i always had very mixed feelings about in terms of his criticism when i was young and i was not an experienced critic in my own right so i had those feelings as well but it was one of those things where like i really had it it forced me to think about it then but i have not thought about it as much or in as much depth um since then and i'm grateful to have the opportunity to do that now well, I'm glad we could offer that to you. And <laughs> I just had like a like an aha moment as I was listening to you talk. And I, I figured out why this movie has been, been like bombarded me so much. I was eight years old in 1998. So this is like peak. Oh, I have a precocious theater child. Let's have her watch <laughs> Grease. Like no fucking wonder this movie has been like haunting me and plaguing me forever because it came out like at that right time where my parents were just starting to figure out like, cause 1998 was the first year I had ever been in a musical. I auditioned for the school musical. This would have been like, this would made me in second grade. Mm-hmm. And I auditioned for a musical like as part of choir. And I got to be in the musical that normally is only supposed to be for third through fifth graders. But they let me go in as a second grader because I had the best singing voice. And it was a huge like, 
at like the third through fifth grade school because (laughs) why are you bringing in the second grader and the choir teacher's like because she's awesome Um, of an angel (laughs) (laughs) i got to play a teacher (laughs) um but it was playing old i've been playing old my whole life yeah (laughs) um i mean that's also part of like the the whole greasism thing is that like i also matured way earlier so i was like hypersexualized way earlier so i was aware of a lot of like the, the pressures of Greece way earlier than a lot of my friends. But yeah, no, this movie getting its re-release in 1998, like as my parents were trying to figure out what the hell to do with me and my interests and like my talent, I guess. Uh, yeah, this makes complete sense. No fucking wonder. Um, <laughs> well, I think we are at the the part of the podcast where we, we will do our, our traditional harmony. Oh yeah, I'm here too. Yeah, well, is asking. and I really like. Quite frankly, I was like, after this conversation, this I would not even say contentious conversation, but this very spirited conversation. I was, I'm really curious how you feel about it, Harmony as well. Oh, and I guess we're about to find out. But Harmony, Greece is uh, asking you to the prom, or I guess in this case, the American Bandstand in front of millions of Americans watching at home. Uh, is it a yes, a no, or a maybe? And are you writing anything on the card back? Um. Okay. You're allowed to say whatever you want. I will not be mad, I promise. <laughs> so I appreciate that. Um, I don't think it's supreme. It definitely does not make me cream. <laughs> Ew. However, I also like don't hate it. I'm not I'm not gonna sit here and be like Goldilocks like that like that I was talking about at the beginning of the episode where I'm like, this is just right. I'm like, oh it's not. <laughs> it's it's a mixed bag. Um, and I think that puts it quite staunchly, like, right in the maybe tech category. Okay, maybe. Um, in pretty much every category I can think of, I'm like, okay, cool. Well, there's a lot of things that are fun and that, that, that I enjoy. And there's a lot of things that I'm, like, not so much of a fan of. But they don't ruin it for me because this is also, like, I think of it in the time that it's being released. I think of it in the context of, like, teens are allowed to make mistakes so it all tracks, you know. Um, the things have only things only age poorly in hindsight, and even in the grand scheme of things, like this aged way better than like Animal House, which came out the same year. So overall, it's it's the the ending could be better, but I don't have the biggest complaints about it. I think Greece is perfectly fine. I don't really know if I want to revisit it anytime soon or possibly at all like i don't i don't have an itch for that but at the very least hey guess what greece is responsible for maybe one of the most important things in my teenage years which is i don't think bad out of hell by meatloaf and jim steinman would have been as big of a deal if it was without greece you know what that is a really good point yeah like (laughs) meatloaf himself also a complicated man Yes. Whom I adore. Jim Steinman, a less complicated man I adore even more. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, Greece was kind of the primer for us to be allowed to have big theatrical music, big bombastic music. That's Especially a really good point. Especially based on like... 50s biker kind of culture. Yeah, these, that's a good point. These rock and roll bad boys. Ugh. <laughs> How dare you give me more reasons to put in the positive side of this? <laughs> oh, God. Well... I think we kind of covered a lot of the basis of Greece. And Todd, thank you so much for coming and having this conversation with us. Where can people find you online if you want them to find you online? 
you know, first of all, I'm happy for them to find me online. I, one day I hope to record a series of videos of me doing the hand jive that people will, <laughs> you know, like and, and, and share. But in the meantime, you know, I'm, uh, I'm on Twitter at, at MT Gilchrist. Um, I'm a writer uh, for the Los Angeles Business Journal. Uh, I'm a reviewer for The Wrap uh, for Fangoria. Or not a reviewer for Fangoria, but I'm a writer for Fangoria. Um, uh, Mental Floss and What to Watch. So those are the main places where I am. Um, but you know, you're also welcome to visit me, uh, on Instagram at best dress Todd. Awesome. And friends, you know where to find us. The show is on Twitter and Instagram at this ends at prom. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok at BJ Colangelo. I am also on Twitter and Instagram at Velocitraptor, Velosa underscore trap underscore tour. And a huge thank you, as always, to the Sonderbombs for allowing us to use title as our theme song. Harmony, what cool indie band do you want people to listen to this week? Ooh, I'm going to share a story. So, um, obviously, <laughs> Grease takes place in the late 70s. Um, obviously, the opening song of Grease is written by Barry Gibb from the Bee Gees. It's a disco song. Yeah, it, it is, is not, even, not a 50 song. It's not even <laughs> pretending to be a 50 song. So, I was like, I really want something that kind of feels like this. And then I was like, dude, um, there's this band called Hot Freaks. And like, I have been a fan of them for years. And they were kind of like this mythical like one and done band that I love to pieces who only put out one album almost a decade ago and nothing really came of it and it broke my heart. But then they just dropped a random single like two years ago now in 2020. And I was like, huh, wonder if they have anything new out. Um, apparently th- 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 I learned that TikTok got a hold of, of a song mm-hmm. they did called puppy princess. And now they're fucking huge and they're getting back together. Which is awesome. Like, they broke up in, like, 2015, and now they're just like, oh, shit, we don't use social media. We're popular. <laughs> like, we have 24 million streams now on Spotify when we used to have, like, 100,000 maybe. What? <laughs> that's, like, yeah, that's wild. Like, I listened to their one album. It's, it's, it's self-titled. It's called Hot Freaks. I listened to that album at least once a month. I love it. Um, it's their, they, I remember reading that they cited their influences as Weezer meets Diana Ross. <laughs> Yeah, that's a so great way to describe it. It's them. like indie rock with disco and what's not to love about that. But it was one of those bands where it's like, hey, anytime I need to make a mix for anyone, a mix CD or anything, I'm putting this on here. They they made everybody's list every single time. <laughs> so uh yeah, they're making new music possibly, or at least releasing old music and are like maybe having reunion tours if the world decides to not burn down uh from disease. So like that's really great. Everyone like listen to Hot Freaks. I love their whole one album, but like Puppy Princess is obviously great. Um, write me letters. Uh, I want to be your boyfriend. Just a lot of like lovely love songs. Just huge fan and really really excited for them. Beautiful. Could I ask? Are they are they anything like the gossip? That's what that's what kind of that sounded like to me when you sort of compared that sort of disco indie rock thing. I don't know who the gossip is, but that if they sound like disco indie rock, I will 100% listen to them. Okay. Well, first of all, I recommend the gossip who were a band or who maybe is still a band. I, they were not a band that I listened to that much, but the lead uh, female lead singer was... It's Beth Ditto's band, yeah. ...is just a belter. I mean, like in, okay. in such a wonderful way. And, but, it's, but it is kind of this like indie rock kind of vibe, and it's really good. Um, I'm also just realizing... Harmony, have I not exp- have I not shown you who Beth Ditto is? 
No. Oh my God, I failed as a fat wife. I need to fix that. <laughs> Beth Ditto is like amazing, like fat lady, like front woman. She's amazing. Oh, that's okay. Cool. Yeah, yeah. That we're we're doing that. The gossip, the gossip fits in this. I'm world. getting music, just like I'm getting music uh, shared with me. People are recommending stuff to me for once. This is lovely. <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> and and for what it's worth, anytime you ever want uh, recommendations, I I uh, am a aggressive and lifelong music collector so i'm always happy to recommend things uh if if and when you you are seeking recommendations oh definitely just like whenever you're bored just go like hey check this person out and i'll be grateful for it (laughs) okay great i love it all right friends that takes us out on greece we thank you again for listening and again for getting us to that 500 hundred dollar benchmark on on patreon that's amazing i now have to come up with another stretch goal because uh didn't think this was going to happen. Now we'll have to set up a new goal where people have to make me watch Rent, uh, a different movie about people <laughs> playing way younger than they actually are. <laughs> that, yeah, yeah, we could uh, we could definitely do that one. Oh, God, I really don't want to watch Rent. <laughs> <laughs> All right, friends. We'll see you next week. And as always, save that last dance for us. Bye. Bye. So many hickeys, people think I'm a leper. Cheer up. Uh, hickey from Kanicki's like a Hallmark car. You don't care enough to send the very best. Um, you pig. I love it when you talk dirty. This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.